You're listening to the International Family Church Podcast. Our ministry philosophy can be summed up in one statement. It's not about building a great church. It's about building a great people. We do this through our regular weekend services, life groups that meet throughout the week, and by helping people connect to their God-given purpose. This year, our focus as a church is having the courage to connect. We're only a few weeks from Easter weekend on Saturday, April 20th and Sunday, April 21st. Easter weekend is the perfect opportunity to reach out to the people in your life who might be far from God and invite them to join you at church. Don't miss the opportunity to help those around you connect with the help that they need this Easter weekend. Service times are Saturday, April 20th at 4 p.m. and Sunday, April 21st at 8.15, 9.45, 11.30 a.m. and 1 p.m. When women gather, anything is possible. This year, we're dedicated to having the courage to say yes to connection and taking steps towards personal and spiritual growth. That's why we're so excited for our New England Women's Convention to return this May from Thursday, May 9th through Friday the 10th. This event is the perfect opportunity for women of every background and age group to gather together to worship Jesus, celebrate one another, and strengthen their walk with God. We want to see you there. So ladies, save the date for this year's New England Women's Convention and visit newconline.com for more info and to register today. Now here's today's message. Yes, let's pray. Let's believe God together because I I believe He has something very powerful to share with us today. Father, thank you for this opportunity to to, uh, uh, open up our our hearts today, our minds today. We believe that you have words that encourage us, words that stretch us, words that strengthen us, words that give us strategy, words that reveal our hearts. We believe, Father God, that, that when we allow you by your Spirit to speak to us clearly and authentically. We know we'll never be the same. So thank you for helping us to understand and allow your word, as, your, as the Bible says, the washing of the water of your word. May it wash us today. Wash all the things that are unnecessary and, and nourish us and, and help us to be in the right place at the right time. We're so careful, Father God, for your goodness and your love. We give you all the honor, all the glory. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. Welcome today to part two of our five-part series entitled, uh, The Cross, Why It Still Matters. How many are grateful that the cross still matters? Thank God for the cross. And if you're new to the things of God or you've put the things of God on a shelf for a while, it's just good to know the power of the cross and what took place in the cross. As here we are approaching Easter in this series, we'll take us right through to Easter. And uh, so we're very excited about this today and believe that it'll absolutely transform your life. I am focusing on in this series the last six hours of Jesus's life and his last seven statements he made on the cross. When you understand these seven statements, you realize that they are just as relevant today as they were when Jesus first spoke them. When you get an understanding and a deep a depth of understanding of these statements, you'll understand, man, the enormous sacrifice that Jesus made for you. And you'll have a greater appreciation for how he died for your freedom so you could be set free from sin, from sickness and disease. You know, last week we discovered that after Jesus was innocently accused of a crime he didn't commit, after he was uh, violently beaten, and his body was ripped to shreds. 
after a crown of thorns was firmly placed on his head, piercing his skin and scraping his skull, after those nine-inch iron nails were, were, were pierced through his wrists and his feet, after the weight of his body hanging from those nails, dislocated his shoulders and took um, much, many of his joints out of joint, after he was in a place of great embarrassment because he hung on that cross, um, uh, stripped of all his clothing and being mocked uh, by an angry mob as he was there on the cross, making it harder and harder for him to breathe as fluid filled up his lungs that would eventually suffocate him. After all of that, somehow Jesus man, you know, musters up the strength to pull himself up by the nails in his wrist, pull himself up so he would have enough ability to put some air in his lungs and say each of these statements. Each statement came with great sacrifice. Each statement came with excruciating pain. Each statement came from his heart. And you know um, uh, that, that a statement while dying through crucifixion, each one meant something. None were by accident. None were just uh, frivolous things being said at the moment. And we understand that while he was dying, his first statement on the cross was actually a prayer for others. And he said this. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I would encourage you to get online and listen to last week's message. It was powerful. Last week's message that will help put in perspective what does all that mean and the power of Jesus' prayer for all of us. So we understand that the entire human race was there at crucifixion. The death of Jesus was an event that transcended time. His prayer gave voice to why he was on the cross in the first place. He was offering himself to God, uh, his Father, as an offering of atonement. In this moment, he was both high priest, pleading for the atonement of the sin of the human race, and the offering itself. The sacrificial act was for those that would be afar off, and those from the past, and those that were there, right there at the foot of the cross, that were mocking him. And, and, and these words that were heard by them that day. What a powerful first statement. Let's get right to our second statement. And our second statement that Jesus spoke while he was being crucified on the cross is found in the book of Luke. Amen. In Luke 23, it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man was, has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a powerful statement. Let's understand that today. I always enjoy reading the Gospel of Luke. I would encourage all of you to, to read the Gospels if you never had. Read through them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is where we get our seven statements of Jesus on the cross. What I love about Luke is Luke always uh, depicted uh, the heart of Jesus, 
the concern and compassion he had for the least, uh, for the lonely, for the lost. He always talked about this heart, this enormous heart that Jesus had. In Luke's description of Jesus' ministry, he was always talking about Jesus consistently concerned for the sinner, the outcast, the unclean, the, the nobody, the person who was under uh, enormous amounts of need of reconstruction in their lives. So it's not surprising then that only Luke records this conversation Jesus had as he hangs dying between two criminals. As we talk about this conversation, I want us to learn a lot about the heart of Jesus. I want us to learn a lot about our hearts. Every statement that Jesus made reveals a different side of his enormous heart. And every statement that Jesus made reveals something about our heart. Shows us the strength that we have, shows us how well we're doing, or shows us the cracks in our own walk with God and our need for growth and our need to, to mature and our need to grow up and be more like Jesus. It is said that a person is known by the company he or she keeps. And in life and in death, Jesus associated with sinners. He really did. He loved being around lost people. He loved being around people that didn't have their act together. And this troubled the religious people to the max. It says here in Luke 15, now, now all the tax collectors and, and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. They just couldn't get over the fact that Jesus cared about them, that he actually allowed a prostitute uh, to wash his feet with her tears, and he touched lepers, he ate with the unclean, and he called tax collectors and garden variety uh, sinners to himself to be his disciples. We see this kind of association throughout the life of Jesus. And in Jesus' day, the non-religious people, they generally didn't like hanging out with the religious folks. They really didn't. Uh, they didn't like what they had to do. They didn't like uh, how they felt. They didn't like the judgment that they received. They didn't like that they had to be something that they were not in order to not receive their scorn and, and the anger that they had. And how many know it's no different today, right? The unchurched do not like the religious folks. They don't. It's no different today than it was back in Jesus' day. They don't like, you know, even though they... They have this desire and this need to go to church. They don't like how they feel when they get there because they feel judged. They feel belittled. They feel talked down to. They don't feel welcomed. They feel like they're being stared at. They feel like, what, what, what's, the, what's the sense of me going to this church? I, I'm so different than they are. And, and, and they, they deal with such guilt and such shame in their lives. And they don't feel welcome. But when Jesus was around the non-religious people, they didn't feel small. They didn't feel like nobodies. See, Jesus didn't make unkind statements to people he didn't agree with. Instead, he had conversations with them. Amen? Instead, he interacted with them. He didn't make them feel like sinners. He didn't make them feel like the people that were less. And he just 
liked being around them and they liked being around him. Amen. As they, as he told them the good news about God and, and how God had a plan for their lives. And they found that they wanted to know more about this God that Jesus talked about. And that's the good news. See, Jesus gave his personal statement, his mission statement, just days before his crucifixion. We find him um, in a, a, a passage of the Bible. We find this scenario of Jesus walking into Jericho. As he walked into Jericho, he's being drawn to the center of the city and specifically being drawn to a sycamore tree. He looks up in the sycamore tree and he sees a man sitting in the branches by the name of Zacchaeus. And he's drawn to Zacchaeus. See, Zacchaeus sold his soul to the Romans so that he could have the right to, to collect taxes. And he was um, uh, not a very nice man, and he ripped off his very own people. So he was loathed. He was notorious for not caring for people and taking advantage of people. And, and he heard about Jesus coming and trying to make his way through the crowd. And the people that loathed him and hated him wouldn't let him get to the front. And being of short stature, um, which I can relate to, he climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Bible says. He wanted to get a view of this man who was called Jesus. And as he looked, Jesus and him made eye contact. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. I'm coming to your house today. Now, people were blown away by this. What? Jesus wants to go to Zacchaeus's house? He wants to have dinner with Zacchaeus? See, in the Middle East, when you say you want to have dinner with somebody, that means you want to make friends. You want to be friends. That means there's a certain level of acceptance. And this, this made the religious people of that day crazy, not understanding why would he want to eat with a known reprobate like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus invited his friends for supper that night. Think about this. Prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, the party crowd, right? The rowdy bunch. I can picture Jesus eating with them, laughing, having a good time, telling stories about the kingdom of God. And people attracted to say, wow, this is good. I want to hear more. Tell me more about God. Tell me more about his love. Tell me more about your life. Tell me more about what you stand for. Tell me more. And, 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 the more he ate with them, the more angrier the religious folks got. Why does he eat with people like that? I can picture Jesus getting up from dinner, going over to those religious people and saying, you don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. Just like so many people in our churches today, they just don't get the purpose of the church. They just don't get the purpose of why Jesus died. And he said to them, and he opened up his heart and gave these religious people his mission statement, his life mission statement in Luke 19.10. He said, the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Amen. He said, get it. That's why I came. I'm here to tell you, church folks, let's get this. This is why Jesus came. Jesus didn't die for your comfort zone. He didn't die for you to be all happy and, and free. Yes, he wanted you to be happy. Yes, he wanted you to be free. No doubt about it. But not to stay that way. To make sure that you then what? You give what you have away to others. 
Amen. The, the unchurched should never feel unwelcome coming to International Family Church. And the only reason why they would not feel unwelcome is because we didn't welcome them. Because I didn't welcome them. Because you didn't welcome them. And we had an attitude and we had thinking, what are you doing here? And I, I know what you did last night. And I know what you've been doing. I, I know you and I, I know that smell and I see that glaze in your eyes. I know what all that means. And you came to church? I remember years ago, a, a lady came through line, kind of uppity, religious, nose up in the air. She came through line and she came close to my ears and she said, Pastor, do you know that hypocrites come to our church? And I said, no. Really? She says, yes. I think it's terrible that these hypocrites come to their church. And I thought, and I said to her, where else do you want them to go? Right? They belong here. If you're a hypocrite today, welcome to International Family Church. Amen. We are so glad you're here. We really are. You belong in church. You belong with Jesus people. And Jesus people should belong with you. Amen. Its statistics tell us that five years after someone gives their life to Christ, they have no unsaved friends. All they know are Christians. Something's wrong with that. It shouldn't be that way. Wasn't that way with Jesus? Jesus was making it very plain, wasn't he? Very plain who he came for. Very, he didn't come from religious uppity people that wanted to judge and make people feel small and, and, and make people feel like nobodies. No, that's the people he hung out with. And that's the backdrop of, this, of what he is saying here. The Romans, see, listen, the Romans did not crucify petty thieves. No, they wouldn't waste crucifixion on a pickpocketer or someone who stole a pocketbook or a candy bar from the corner store. No, these criminals were hardened criminals. These were notorious criminals. These were well-known criminals. In fact, Luke three times uh, uses a special word in the Greek that means those who do evil works. Mark and Matthew, even though they don't um, talk about or or list the words that Jesus spoke on the cross, they make reference of these thieves, and they, they, they use a term that means they use violence to get their way. Most likely for these thieves to be crucified, they were trying to overthrow the government. They were trying to lead a revolt. They were, they were this well-known. These are the people that Jesus is hanging with, if you will, that day. The scene of Jesus and two violent criminals it's probably one of the most awesome scenes that represent the heart of Jesus so well. Jesus, the only fully righteous, sinless human being, had his final conversation with a criminal and a thug who was rethinking his life all because of how he witnessed Jesus' life. He's rethinking his life, and he asked for mercy and Jesus offers the man eternal life. Powerful. Do you see how important reaching lost people was and is to Jesus? It was what drove him to the cross. It was the thing that kept him on that cross. Oh, we know that nine-inch iron nails were pounded in his wrist, but really it was love for lost people that kept him on that cross. 
He could have called thousands and legions of angels to come and rescue him, but he decided not to. Why? Because of his love for you and his love for me and his love for the criminal and the thug and the love for the person that's different than we are. Amen. And here he is dying that he might save the human race from self-destruction, from self-worship and sin. And so there would be an eventual resurrection and save us from death. See, if this is what mattered most to Jesus, reaching people who were lost, what does that mean for us as his followers. Wow. If Jesus wasn't afraid to associate with criminals and prostitutes and people who are considered unclean, what about us? Let's make it even more personal today. Do people who do not know Jesus feel comfortable around you? Do they feel valued or do they feel small after they have a conversation with you? Are you willing to associate with people that are different than you and and show them kindness and compassion because that's what followers of Christ does? That's what we do? That's who we are as followers of Christ. See, think about this today. And I I want you to really stay with me as I I, I want you to think today. I don't want you to sit back and, and, and rest in hearing words today. I want you to think. Think about the picture of the three crosses on Calvary's hill. Familiar picture, right? Most of us, all of us, I'm sure, seen it at one time, grew up with this image, grew up with this picture. Think about this for a moment. Why isn't there four crosses or six crosses or ten crosses? Why isn't Jesus on the far left or the far right? Why is he in the middle? And the more I thought about this, the more I understood something. Could it be that the two crosses on the hill symbolize one of God's greatest gifts, the gift of choice? In every age of history, in every page of Scripture, this truth is revealed. God allows us to make our own choices. And no one delineates us more clearly than Jesus. And according to Him, we can choose what? Life or death, right? The narrow way or the wide road. A positive attitude or a negative attitude. God's truth or man's opinion. We can build on a rock or we can build on the sand. And the Bible is clear with choices that we are given. And God gives eternal choices, and these choices have eternal consequences. Think about this. The two criminals have so much in common. Convicted by the same system. Condemned to the same death. Surrounded by the same crowd. Equally close to the same Jesus. In fact, they both began with the same sarcasm. The Bible tells us that both criminals said cruel things to Jesus, but one changed. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The only thing more outlandish than the request of the criminal was that Jesus granted it. That's amazing. Much has been said about the prayer of the penitent thief, and we admire uh, it, and, and it warrants our admiration. There's no doubt about it. But, but while we rejoice over the thief who changed, dare we not forget about the one who didn't? We might think, hey, Jesus, what about him? Maybe a personal invitation would have been good for him too. And maybe Jesus, you know, some persuasive words at this point in time might have been a good idea. 
There are times when God sends the truth to stir us, and there are times when God sends blessings to help us, but then there are times when God sends nothing but silence as he honors us with the freedom of choice of where we will spend eternity. Wow. You think about this. You think about our, our, the privilege of choice. Aren't you glad that God didn't make us robots? Aren't you glad that God made us free will agents so that we could live our lives the way we wanted to live our lives? See, it's an honor to have the freedom of choice. In so many areas, you think about it, we don't have a choice. Uh, you didn't choose your parents. You don't choose your siblings. You don't choose your race or your place of birth. Sometimes our lack of choice uh, angers us. Like, it's not fair. Why was I born in poverty? Why was I exposed to this kind of abuse? Why, why, did, why didn't I get the gift of music? Or why do I run so slow? Right? We have a lot that we can complain about that I, I had no choice over right? But all complaints, listen very carefully, all complaints were silenced and the scales of life were forever tipped on the side of fairness when God created men and women with their own free will. Wow. That's powerful today. The freedom to make whatever choice we desire. Any injustice in this life is offset by the honor of choosing forgiveness and restoration in this life and our destiny in the next. Would you have rather it been the other way around? Would you rather choose everything in this life and let him choose where you spend the next? You choose the size of your nose. You choose the color of your hair. You choose the size of your hips. <laughs> That's a thing with some people, I guess. <laughs> you choose your DNA structure, and he chooses where you spend eternity. Is that what you'd prefer? Wouldn't it be nice if God allowed us to order life like we order our meal, and I'll take a double portion of good health and a high IQ, and I'll pass on the music skills, but I want a fast metabolism. Yes. Wouldn't that be nice? Right? Would it... Would, would that be what we want? It didn't happen that way. When it came to your earth, when your life on earth, listen, there were certain things you weren't given a voice or a vote. But when it comes to your quality of life on earth and life after death, you were. What mattered most is not the size of your nose. What matters most is not the color of your hair or if you have no hair. What matters most is not necessarily your DNA structure as we speak and the priority of life and the priority of what we need. What matters most is you have a choice that even though there might be certain mistakes you made, even though there might be certain choices you made, even though you are bound by guilt and shame today, even though you're overwhelmed by your lot in life and what you were exposed to and what you didn't get or what you got too much of or not enough of, the good news today is you can choose the quality of the life that you can have here on earth. You can choose where you'd spend eternity. You can choose what your potential might be. You can choose what level of success you want to be in. You can choose what kind of life you live. Positive attitude, a negative attitude. Live your potential or be a lazy bum all your life. You have that choice. You can grow up if you want to, or you can be a 60-year-old acting like a 12-year-old. Guess what? The choice is yours. 
right? You can go out with losers or you can make yourself be the best catch you can and watch God bring you the most amazing man or woman in your life. You can work dead-end jobs all your life, or you could pick yourself up and get an education and change your attitude and watch God supernaturally bless you. You can walk and stand on God's Word and be a tither and being an offering giver, or you can be angry at God and every preacher that there is because they're out for no good. The choice is yours, but once you make your choice, your choice controls you. You can be mad at every preacher that you want to be, but there's a few of us that aren't like the rest of them. Amen. Amen. And the choice is yours to have a relationship or not have one. But don't be under any disillusion, thinking you can live any old way you want to, and then when you have the fruit of that choice, shake an angry fist at God to say, where are you? And God could easily say down to you, hey, dude, you planted those seeds. You made that choice. You decided to ignore me. You decided to do your own thing. <laughs> Don't blame me. That's your choice. But the good news, even when it was our choice, we can still make other choices to get it right again. That's the beauty of this picture this morning. That's the beauty of what God is doing today. Deuteronomy 30, 19 makes it very plain. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, God says, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Oh, that's good news today. Have we ever been given a greater privilege than choice? Not only does this privilege offset any injustice, the gift of free will can offset any mistake. Think about the thief who repented. Though we know little about him, we can assume, right, he made some bad mistakes. We can assume he hung out with the wrong people, right? We can assume he was with the wrong crowd, had a wrong set of values, and had wrong behavior. But would you consider his life a waste? Is he spending eternity reaping the fruit of all his bad choices he made? No. Just the opposite. He's enjoying the fruit of the one good choice he made right before he died. And in the end, all his bad choices have been redeemed by a solitary good one. Think about it. The next person after Jesus, when he entered heaven, was an ex-con. It wasn't Joe Religious. It wasn't the man who memorized the Bible. It wasn't the man that always gave and did this and did it all right and, and memorized this and, and, and was Mr. Righteous and made all the perfect choices and was the original Boy Scout. That wasn't the next person that walked into heaven. The next person after Jesus was an ex-con. I don't know if that blesses you, but it does me. Why? Because that gives us hope. Doesn't that give us hope? That gives you hope. 
in all your mistakes. I'm sure if you're just like me, you made some bad choices. Maybe you picked the wrong career. Maybe you married the wrong spouse. Maybe you did a bunch of things that were just not right, and your life has imploded and exploded all around you. Amen. But you got to understand something. You can make the right choice today. And the cross and those two thieves next to him is the picture of choice. Which thief are you? Are you the one that will humble yourself and come to Jesus? Are you the one that's going to stand back and continue to mock Jesus no matter what? See, when you understand the scene between Jesus and the penitent thief, you can actually read the thief's mind. Oh, yeah. You know what I hear? I hear, man, my life is hopeless right now. I'm dying. I'm dying the most gruesome death. I'm dying humiliated and defeated. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus is my hope. Just maybe, just maybe, God really does love us. Just maybe, just maybe, there, he is a God of second chances. Maybe, just maybe, he does care about the hopeless. Maybe, just maybe, he, he doesn't judge me for my destructive thoughts. He doesn't judge me for wanting my life to be over, and I feel like there's no hope. Maybe, just maybe, this might be my day. I can relate. Which one of us can't relate to the penitent thief who cried out to Jesus, and Jesus met him right where he was. I'm sure you can look over your life and understand how could two men be with the same Jesus? One choose Jesus and the other mock him. One pray to him while the other cursed him. I don't know, but they did. When one prayed, Jesus loved him enough to save him. When the other mocked him, Jesus loved him enough to let him. He allowed him the choice. He does the same for you and me today. Choices. 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 I want to encourage you today. Make a choice towards God. Make a choice towards his love. Make a choice towards him today. He is a restorer. He is a healer. He is a forgiver. He is a friend that sits closer than a brother. He is what exactly you need him to be for you today. If you'll make that choice and, and allow his mercy and his goodness to enter your life, you will never, ever be the same today. Oh my. He cried out for mercy. Jesus said, yes, you will be with me in paradise. What are you crying out for today? I believe that he'll answer you and he'll care for you today. What a beautiful picture. Jesus is suffering and dying. And so far, two statements. He cared about you and me in the middle of being crucified. And he cared for the lost so can I. I can forgive when I'm under stress and being persecuted. And I 
can reach out and love those that are different from me and care for them and love them and open up a way for Jesus to enter their heart and be set free. Did you learn something today? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Oh, thank you, Father. Lord, we love you today. Oh, I want you to lift up those hands towards heaven today in gratitude. Jesus, thank you that you didn't turn your back on the thief because if you would have turned your back on him, you would have turned your back on us. But thank you that in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my poor choices, in the midst of my mistakes, in the midst of my guilt, in the midst of my shame, there you are with open arms, open heart, a love and compassion like no other. Oh, Jesus, we bless you today. We love you today. Come on, lift up your voice and tell him you love him today. I'm so grateful that I'm forgiven. So grateful that I'm blood-bought. So grateful that my life has been turned around and there's a new beginning in my life. So grateful that I can still make wise choices today to turn around what's not right. To turn around so I can walk in your highest and best. And I pray, Father, right now that by your Spirit you're encouraging that person who feels hopeless and that woman who feels like it's time to give up and the man who says there's just no, sh- there's no choice, there's no way, there's nothing I can do to, to help to bring restoration. I've messed up royally. My life is over. Thank God for Jesus today. Thank God He's the God of a second chance. Thank God He's a restorer. Thank God He forgives and forgets. Thank you, Father. Ha <laughs> ha! You're so awesome. Thank you, Lord. Come on, thank Him today. Mighty God. Wonderful Savior. Oh, we bless you today. You're so awesome and so good. Thank you for that heart today. Thank you for that heart today. We love you, Jesus. With every head bowed, please. Pastor Josh is going to come in a moment and close the service. Before we do, I want to make sure that everyone makes the right choice today. A choice for Jesus. A choice for forgiveness. A choice for new life. A choice for everlasting life. A choice for heaven as our home. And a quality of life here on earth that God can give us. A choice you can make for all of that today by simply opening up your heart and saying yes to Jesus. Saying, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I need you, Jesus. I need a brand new start. I I can't do this on my own. I want to make sure heaven is my home when I breathe my last breath. Just like that thief on the cross, I want to make sure heaven is my home. I want to make sure that I make the right choice from this day forward. You're hearing you say, Pastor, I need this Jesus today. You're joining us online. You feel the same way. Say, Pastor, I need Jesus. Pray for me, please. I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hand, not to embarrass you or to point you out or to have you come forward. None of that's going to happen. I'm going to raise your hand because of your intentionality. It's me. I make that choice. I'm grateful for the choice. That story we told today, the choice that I have to say yes to Jesus and the honor is my choice. You're going to say, Pastor, that's me. I need prayer. Pray for me, please. If that's you, will you raise your hand nice and high? 
Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, thank you. Man, a lot of people in this section. Yeah, ma'am, I see it all the way back there. Thank you. I see it back there. Thank you. God bless you. Awesome. Who else? Wow. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My Lord. Thank you. All the way back there. Thank you. Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, back over here. Thank you. I see it, ma'am. Good for you. I see it, ma'am. I see it, sir. Thank you. I see those both hands. Good for you. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. I see him next to you, too. Thank you, sir. Good for you, dad. Wow. 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 What can I say? Wow. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Great things he has done today. Great things. Great things. Who else before we pray today? Thank God. Let's pray this prayer together. Father, in Jesus' name, here's my heart. I need you desperately. Come into my heart. Forgive me from my sins. I declare you as my Lord. I submit under your Lordship. You are now in charge. I will serve you all the days of my life. I receive by faith forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Come on, give God praise this morning. Thanks for listening. To stay connected, find out our service times or how you can get involved, please visit intlfamilychurch.com for more information. Our mission at International Family Church is to help you know God for yourself, to find freedom in your life, to discover your God-given purpose, and help you make a difference in the lives of those around you. One of the easiest ways you can do that is simply by sharing this podcast and connecting with us online. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening.